Well, as you look down the road at this new year, what attitude best describes your outlook? Are you optimistic? Not many of us are. Would you be maybe cautiously optimistic? Wishful thinking. Are you confident? I don't know anyone who is confident as they look over the horizon of 2021. There's just so many unknowns, aren't there? We've got a new president as of January the 20th and a new Congress. There's just a lot of unknowns of how that's going to affect the economy, the job situation, health care, race relations, religious liberty, and other issues that we care about. It's hard to begin this new year with confidence when so many people are still coming down with the coronavirus. So many hospitalized, people that we know, people connected to our church family who have died from it recently. When you look at all that's happening in the world right now, just on the earthly level, there really isn't much to be confident about, is there? But I want to direct you to a place in God's Word this morning where every Christian, this is a message directed to Christians, where every Christian can find not only confidence, but comfort, not just at the beginning of a new year, this new year, but every day of our lives. It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It's one verse, I'm going to put it on the screen. Paul is writing to a church. Christians. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The NIV and New American Standard translations, they translate this, and I am confident. The ESV says, I am sure of, others say, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This message this morning is designed to be heard and received as an individual. I'm speaking to individuals who claim to be Christians. The message is designed for true children of God. You know, some messages, especially here lately, we, we've been thinking about our country, the church as a whole, families. But this is, to, this is for you as an individual Christian to let sink in. Think about you. Paul is writing to you about something that you can and should be confident about today and every day of your life. No matter what else is happening, God has, is, and will continue to work in your life 
to make you more like Jesus. Be confident of that. Let's look at it. Number one, we can be confident that God has begun his work of salvation in us. And again, I'm writing to Christians. Paul is writing to Christians in the church at Philippi, and he knows most of them personally. God used him to go there and preach, and many people were saved and formed that church. As he writes this letter, he has people in mind. One, for an example, is a woman named Lydia. And her conversion really, the way it's described in the book of Acts, really helps us understand how God is the author of our salvation. Look at this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's Luke's way of saying the Lord opened her heart to hear, to believe, to respond to the gospel that Paul preached. We're told that she was baptized, that she asked or invited Paul and his traveling companions to stay at her home while they were in Philippi. She really, as soon as she was converted, the Lord opened her eyes, opened her heart, opened her mind to see the truth about Jesus. She trusted him. And by inviting Paul and his associates to stay with her, that would have been where the first church in Philippi would have met, where the first teaching would have been taking place. What I want us to see is that throughout the Bible, salvation is first and foremost described as the work of God. Think about it like this. I want you, boys and girls, young people, middle-aged people, old people. See, the older I get, I can just say old people. When you're young, people think, well, he's in being insulting. I wouldn't have an AARP card, but I could. Unfortunately, age-wise. So this applies to everybody. Before you were born, if you're a Christian, God chose you to be His. God chose you to be His in Christ. Paul describes that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 1 and several verses, but here's the one I want you to look at. God chose us in Him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. Before he got started, God planned for you to be you. And he chose you to be his born again child. To live with him forever. To have a relationship with him throughout your earthly life here. And then for all eternity in heaven. At some point in your life, God graciously worked to have the gospel taught, preached, explained, shared, however you want to describe it, to you. Maybe several times 
But at some point in your life, God worked in your life graciously to enable you to hear the gospel. And he gave you the gift of faith to believe that gospel, to believe, understand that you were a sinner and that Jesus came into this world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and you trusted Jesus. Paul explains this or how this works in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Look at this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You're not a Christian because you were so smart that you figured it all out. You're not a Christian because you were such a a nice person that, that it just sort of, you know, came naturally for you. You're a Christian because God worked in your mind, in your heart, in your thinking, in your feeling to bring you under conviction that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. And it may have been your parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor who shared with you the good news about Jesus. And you exercised faith in Him. You trusted Him. Paul talks about it, that salvation is a gift from God, but no one is saved until they believe like this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People who don't call on the name of the Lord will not be saved. I want you to understand that God is sovereign in salvation. He initiates everything. He does the work of bringing about a new birth, regeneration. He opens, as he says, he opened Lydia's spiritual eyes and ears and heart for her to understand. That's what he does in everyone's life. But God calls us to exercise faith and our responsibility to act on what he makes clear to us, to respond to what he's doing by us actually believing in Jesus, trusting him, calling on him to save us, turning from our sins, all this goes together. Now Jesus confirms that salvation is the work of God and originates with God very clearly in what he said to Peter After Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Look at this. It's in Matthew chapter 16. He said to them, who do you say that I am? That's Jesus speaking to his disciples. Well, Simon Peter spoke up. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter didn't figure it out. Nobody explained it to him. God revealed it, made it clear, turned the light on for Peter and the others. 
to enable them to understand who Jesus was and to respond to him as they did. I say all that to say, if you are a Christian, be confident. You didn't by accident become a Christian and, and maybe fade away. God chose you before you were ever born from the foundation of the world to be his child. You are chosen. You are special. And you responded. You, at some point in the past, trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you still trust him. You are a follower of his right now. That assures us that God loves us. He didn't have to. He chose to. And it's not based on anything that we are or have done. It's all originated with God. Just part of His purpose. Part of His heart for you. Now, if God has begun such a work in you, and that verse we're looking at says He's going to bring it to completion when Jesus returns, we can be confident that He is continuing His work in us right now. Number two. We can be confident that God is continually is continuing His work of salvation in us right now. Right now. God chose you and called you. You trust in Jesus. God's working in your life right now. He is developing you more and more as time goes by into the image of His Son Jesus we read in Romans 8.29. God's shaping and molding your character through good times and bad, through hard times and easy times, through people that's easy to get along with and people that's hard to get along with. Through everything that you go through, God is working, working out His salvation and practically making us or developing our character so that we'll be more and more like Jesus. Now, I want you to look at a comment, sort of an extended comment. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson. Some of you were involved in a study we did on Sunday nights a long time ago now on the prayers of Paul. Well, Carson says that this verse is almost a definition of what a real Christian is. Look at what he says. The New Testament affords not a few examples of people who made professions of faith that were spurious. Now some of those, you know, Carolina people in here, I put in there, that means false, fake, not real. Look at what he says. New Testament affords not a few examples of people who made professions of faith that were spurious. Evidenced by the fact that they did not endure. They did not persevere. They didn't continue in their faith. For an example, at the end of John chapter 2, many people believed in Jesus' name when they saw the miraculous signs that he was doing. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, the scripture says, we are told he knew that their faith was not genuine. A few chapters later, Carson continues to write, To those who had professed faith, Jesus declared, If you hold to my teaching, 
you are really my disciples. Or as Hebrews 3.14 puts it, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Then the last paragraph. Because God is preserving the Philippians, Paul is convinced that they will persevere. Paul gives thanks to God because he is entirely confident as he has watched the Philippians that God did indeed begin a good work in them. And the God who begins a good work finishes it. Here's one way that most of us are not like God. If you go to your house today, your garage, your barn, your house, can't you see signs that you don't always start, or you don't always finish what you start? Aren't there some unfinished projects? God never has that. God never sees anywhere things that he has started and just abandoned. Now, every one of us can look in the mirror and see a project that God has not completed. But he's still working on us. You and me. Now, here are some examples of how God did this among the Christians in Philippi. How God continued to work in their life, work out their salvation, develop their Christian character. Look at this. First, these people supported Paul and his ministry with their prayers and their financial support. He says in verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When God saved these people, they were concerned about other people hearing the good news too. And so they supported Paul, first of all, with their prayers. He says in chapter 1, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And then they put their money where their mouth was. They supported him financially. Chapter 4, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They sent a messenger, represented from their church, to where Paul was to meet some needs they knew he'd have. They wanted to be partners in the ministry, the missionary evangelistic activity of Paul. Now, they were also willing to endure suffering, sacrifice, as a part of their calling to follow Jesus Christ. Look at this, chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. These Christians... They knew from seeing Paul, what he went through, hearing some of the things he told, and from the situation where they were, where they were a very, very small minority, that it was going to be costly for them to live out their faith. But they did not shrink back. Now let's just pause here and think about this personally. What signs can you see in your life that demonstrate 
the reality of your faith in Jesus. Let's just for, to start with, look at the signs that were in the Philippian Christians. Do you care about the spiritual condition of the people around you? Just think, do you take an interest in, have concern for the spiritual condition of the people around you? Now, if you are a Christian and you really believe the Bible, then you believe that everyone is born a sinner and until they come to faith in Jesus, they are separated from God. And if they die in that condition, they're going to spend eternity away from God in hell. Do you ever look at people that you know, that you love, that are kin to you, your good friends that you work with, you go to school with, do you ever look and think, if they're not Christians, what's going to happen to them if they don't come to Christ? Do you ever pray for such people by name? Do you look for ways to share the gospel with them? Just say a word from time to time. Plant some seeds. Do you invite them to church? And are you careful to try to live a faithful Christian life before them? To provide an example. To maybe show them that the Lord has done something in your life or to show them yeah, that the Lord has done something in your life with the hope that they'll see that and see that, well, he could do that in my life as well. So your attitude, your thoughts, your activities toward other people, do you really show an interest in other people's spiritual condition? That's a sign of the Spirit of God working in us if we're Christians. Let's use another example from the, from the Philippians. What do your spending habits reveal about your Christian faith? Yes, it, it does matter. See, how we spend our time, how we spend our money are the loudest two statements we can make about what means the most to us, what our priorities are, where our heart lies. And so, do you give generously to the work of the Lord through this church and other Christian organizations, maybe? And I want to pause here and say, I have no idea what anybody in this church gives. All I know is what I see in the newsletter, just like you. And I want to say, it appears that we either have a lot of people who give faithfully, or we've got a few people who give a tremendous amount, because a lot of money is given in terms of tithes and offerings to the Lord through this church. And if you're faithful in your giving, I want to thank you for that. Now, I know you don't give to me. I hope you don't give to me. But I just want to thank you and commend you for being faithful to the Lord in that way. But if you don't give, why not? It is a part of our Christian responsibility. What we do with our money shows what is most important to us. Then, what are you sacrificing? 
or willing to sacrifice that demonstrates you are a real committed follower of Jesus. Let's just think of it this way. How do you spend your time? See, the most, two most precious commodities that we have today, time and money. And for a lot of people today, their time is more important than their money. Some people will give their money when they won't give their time. So I want to ask you, how do you spend your time? Is it all just about you? Doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. Maybe it, it includes your family, but do you just only spend your time on you and your family? Or do you give of your time? Make some hard decisions sometimes. Make some sacrifices at times to actually be faithful to the Lord in getting involved in someone's life or being involved in some kind of ministry. And you're doing it unto the Lord and to those people. Think about this in terms of sacrifice, maybe suffering. Do you ever shy away from identifying yourself as a Christian in front of certain people, maybe at school or at work or in your neighborhood because you're afraid that it might cost you something if people really perceive you as a serious-minded Christian. Maybe it's just they'll laugh at you, make fun of you. Or maybe they'll exclude you from their group. It could deny you, cost you a promotion at work. Are you willing to sacrifice, suffer ridicule, exclusion, or more in order to be faithful to the Lord? Sometimes that is what the Lord calls us to do. God continues to work in the life of every Christian to give us the desire and the ability to serve Him, to please Him. To do his will. If you don't have such desires, you have no reason to think that you are a Christian. Oh, every child, every teenager, sit up, pay attention to what I'm about to say. A lot of you, and maybe adults, made professions of faith when you were young. You were baptized. There's several people in here, I baptized you. I want you to understand that if you are truly saved, if you're truly a Christian, the Spirit of God lives within you and He gives you the desire to please God. To want to do what God wants you to do. For an example, if you're really a Christian, boys and girls, young people, the Spirit of God within you gives you a desire to not tell lies 
even though it may get you in trouble. The Spirit of God will give you the desire to speak the truth, even if you suffer for it. To treat other people the way that you want to be treated. To love people. To serve people. And I want you to understand, whether you're 8 years old or 88 years old, if you don't have those desires within you, if the Spirit of God is not within you, prompting you, giving you the desire to please God, to do His will, to speak the truth, to love people, to forgive people, you think, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way in the world that you're a Christian. You may have professed faith. You may have been baptized. That was all meaningless unless there are evidences of a work of God within you, in your desires. Let's go a little bit further. The Spirit of God works in us to give us the desire and the ability to serve God. If you don't use any of your time, talents, or treasure to serve the Lord because you don't really care about pleasing Him. You don't even think about pleasing Him. I don't see how you can have any confidence right now that the Lord's working in your life. It's just not something the Bible will give you confidence about. Because everyone in whom God has worked, He continues to work. And He gives us the desires and the ability to please Him, to do His will. But if you have those desires, you have those heartfelt desires, and you find ways to serve Him because you want to, it pleases you to please God, then you have every reason to be confident that God is working in your life. That's one of the ways that God gives you assurance. He's the one that gives you those desires. He's the one that gives you that ability. Now, if we have confidence that God has started to work in us, and we see signs that He is still working in us, then we can also be confident that He will finish that work in us. Number three, we can be confident that God will complete His work of salvation in us. Look at that verse one more time. Now I am sure of this, or I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of the clearest promises you'll ever find in the Bible that God will never give up on you. God's goal is for you to develop Christ-like character. And he's going to work in you. He is working in you throughout your life until Jesus comes to perfect that. Now, if you're a Christian, let this encourage you right now. Because the truth may be, as you came in here this morning, before you came in here, but as you came in here this morning, and you're thinking about all this, it may be that you would have to say, I am a poor excuse of a Christian. 
It may be that you would say, I know that God has saved me and that he is working in my life. I know what you mean about those desires. But lately, or maybe for a long time, I've sort of been at arm's length with God. It may be that you'd have to admit that my heart's a little bit harder, my conscience a little more calloused than it used to be. You may feel like a failure. And you may be far from being truly a faithful child of the Lord. But I want you to know, God hasn't given up on you. There's a lot of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers in this room. And in those kind of positions, we have invested ourselves in a lot of young people. And every one of us, as parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles and teachers, we've had students to disappoint us. Disappoint us, even break our hearts. But if we truly love them, no matter what, we continue to love them. Sometimes we want to smack them. And sometimes God disciplines us. I've worn out my boys to my hand hurt when they were growing up. Hadn't done it lately, but when they were little. But I never stopped loving them. There's times I wanted to kill them, but I never stopped loving them. You know, you've been there, you've done that. There's times that God does truly severely discipline us, put us flat on our backs because he loves us so much, he's not going to let us go. He's not going to let us destroy our lives. But God never gives up. Faithfulness matters, don't misunderstand. How we live matters. But God never washes his hands of us, his children. God has been, is, and will always be faithful to you if you are his son or his daughter. You can count on it. Read the whole chapter of um, uh, chapter 8 of Romans, one of the best statements on this, especially about verse 31 to the end. I want to encourage you right now. If you know you're a Christian, but you're just not faithful. You're not, you're, more, you're suppressing more of those desires that the Lord's given you. You're just not obeying him. Admit that to God. Confess it as the sin that it is. Repent of it. And he will forgive you. He'll cleanse you, the scripture says. He'll restore you to closeness with him. If you're far from God this morning, draw close to him. He will, the scripture says, draw close to you. If you're not a Christian, call on Jesus to save you. Humble yourself. Even if you're a baptized member of this church, but you know that you never experienced the work of God's grace, 
Admit that. Cry out to God. Repent of your sin. Put your trust in Jesus for real. Now. You know, we've begun a new year. No one knows. No matter what they tell you. No one knows what's ahead of us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation even. But God knows every detail about this year for you, for your family, for this church, for this country. He can be trusted no matter what. As a Christian, trust Him. Have confidence that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And don't forget, one of the ways that God works is to give us the desires and the ability to please Him. So, this year, spend time with Him every day asking Him to help you to be, have a tender heart and conscience and act on those desires that He gives you. Let that be a part of your daily reading the Bible, praying, ask God, please help me to be sensitive to your spirit, to know what to do, how to please you, and then ask him to help you to do it, to discipline yourself, to do it, to please him. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen this year, but we can be confident that God is with us and that we can please Him if we'll listen to Him and obey Him. Let's pray.